Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out, please, and go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are uh, this morning, and as you are turning there, I just want to share a couple things uh, with you before we uh, dive into our text uh, this morning. Uh, number one, I want to let you know that um, uh, my parents are here today, Richard and Vicki Winford. They are here all the way from uh, La Mesa, Texas, and so they've been, been here with us um, this week, and as soon as uh, the service is over, we will be making our way to the Jacksonville airport so they can fly home. So I will have a short message today. No, I just changed my mind. But uh, I do want you to be kind to my parents um, when you see them. Uh, they are. Um, they are Texas Tech Red Raider fans. It was a very difficult day yesterday. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you know my wife, though. Angela, come up here, please. Come up here, Angela, come up here. I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not, but she's an Aggie. <laughs> God answers prayer. <laughs> that should be the title. Well, anyways, um, so, but do be kind to my parents and greet them as they're on the way out here in a few moments. We appreciated having them with us um, this week. Um, men, um, tonight is the uh, movie uh, called Show Me the Father, um, and uh, you're invited to that. Show Me the Father, produced by the Kendrick Brothers, um, who also did Facing the Giants, uh, War Room, and several other. Um, it's a free ticket. Um, all you have to do is text the word First Men to 84576. You'll get your ticket. Show up at the movie theater tonight at 7 o'clock to watch the movie. Um, we have, we have uh, plenty of room available. Come join us, men. We're going to eat dinner at 5.30 um, at Old Time Country Buffet, and so come join us there. Um, you're going to have a good time. And last thing before we dive into our text, um, next Sunday night, um, I want to invite all of you back to um, a Sunday night worship service from 5 to 6 p.m. right here in our worship center. Um, we are having an associational-wide worship service. Um, I've invited uh, the 35 churches in our association to come worship uh, that evening. Uh, we have a guest speaker, Levi Skipper, who is the uh, church strengthening uh, for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. He will be here next Sunday night. Um, our worship team with other churches' uh, worship team will be joined together. And so I just want it to be a time of worship. Um, and so come join us 5 to 6 p.m. Um, next Sunday night. We're going to have a really good time worshiping and praising the Lord. Well, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we are looking at verses 19 through 30 this morning as we have been making our way verse by verse through what we know is the happiest book in the Bible. And so today, uh, I want to talk to you about men. Men and friends. You know, growing up, one of my favorite songs uh, was, um, you may know this, and Garth Brooks, I've Got Friends in Low Places. Just ignore the next line into that song where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases. Just ignore that line. You know that song, don't you? But I've got friends in low places. Other songs that are great about friends. Friends are friends forever. Michael W. Smith, that brings a tear to every person's eye. 
Dion Warwick, that's what friends are for. You're my best friend by Queen. And here's a great one that some of you may like. All my best friends are metalheads. Anybody know that one? I don't know that one either, but uh, I just thought it was a funny title. But how about this one? Some of you uh, watch Monday Night Football, formerly Monday Night Football. All my rowdy friends are coming over tonight by the great theologian Hank Williams, Jr. But probably one of my favorite um, songs um, with the word friend in the title is this one. Watch this real quick. First line. Sing it. You got a friend in me. Oh, keep going. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your past said. Boy, you, you got, got a friend in me. One more time. Oh, no, eclipse. Okay. All right, there you go. Isn't that a great song? You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. Well, that's just a great song. You know, we've all had friends who have made a significant impact on our own lives. Um, many of you or some of you, I don't know, maybe you, have, you came to faith in Christ because of a friend. Uh, maybe one of your friends saved you from trouble, or, or maybe one of your friends led you into trouble. <laughs> but for good or for bad, we know this, that, that friends have played a major role in determining the direction of our lives. Would you agree with that? Now, friends play a major role in that. Well, in our text this morning, uh, we read of two of Paul's closest friends. You know them because you've been studying them in your Sunday small group. You know them as Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, excuse me, Paul calls Timothy his son. He calls Epaphroditus his brother. But together, these two men ministered to Paul while he was in prison. They, they kept his spirits up and they, and they encouraged Paul to continue and to be faithful in his work for the Lord. Well, let's look at our text this morning, and as we read, and as you have read before, I want us to watch and listen to how Paul describes his two closest friends. We're going to read this text, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break down the text together. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, follow along in your copy of God's Word, the, the words on the screen behind me as well, and this is, what, this is what Paul says. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know, but you know of Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. 
but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker, my, my fellow soldier, and who is also your messenger and minister to my need. I'm sending, to you, I'm sending him to you because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. Boy, isn't that a great line? But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you today. And we humbly bow ourselves before your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is light. And I pray, Almighty God, today, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son, speak to us. And may we be conformed to the image which is presented before us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Well, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. At first glance, um, this, this passage doesn't seem really deep. Uh, to me, if you're just reading it at first glance, it just seems like Paul is talking about two guys that he knows in Rome who are with him and that he's going to send them back to Greece and uh, to Philippi. And when you read this text, you, you may ask yourself this question, why in the world does God have this, uh, this in here? Why, why do we have this story? Why is this event of these two men in here? And uh, we may have a tendency to, to, uh, to look over this passage. And, and if we look over this passage too quickly, I believe we're going to miss uh, the importance of this text. Because when we read the Bible, we always have to remember wherever you read it, whenever you read it, whatever text you are reading, you have to remember that everything that is written in the Bible is to teach us an example. Amen? I mean, it's there for us. It's there for us to learn something. And so when we read this text, and uh, what we have to learn from here is this. Paul has just described two godly men. This is what men are supposed to look like. In other words, ladies, if we have any ladies who are single this morning, have some teenagers, maybe some college students, maybe have some other single uh, ladies. Ladies, if you are single and you're looking for a man to marry, look for somebody like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Men, if you, um, if you are wanting to know what your life needs to look like, here are two great examples of, of Epaphroditus and Timothy who, who are doing the things of Paul, who is doing the things of, of Christ. Women, if you are married to a man who is like Timothy and Epaphroditus, praise the Lord. Amen? Ladies, if you are already married and your man isn't like Timothy and Epaphroditus, I'll just let you know the altar will be open at the end of the service. Well, what's the background here? The background here is, you remember this, Paul is where? He's in what? He's in prison. He's alone. He's chained to the Praetorian Guard. But God has given him a new ministry of writing letters. And so now Paul has two men that are near him, 
Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says, I'm going to send these two men back to the Philippian church. In verse 19, Paul says this, uh, excuse me, verse number 20, Paul says this about Timothy. He says, I have nobody like him. In verse 25, he says this about Epaphroditus. He says, um, he's, a, he's a member of your church, and when I send him to you, I want you to honor him. I want you to hold him in high regard. I want you to welcome him. And so w- when you look at this text, we have to realize that Paul is endorsing these two men. Paul, the great missionary, uh, we know him as the great missionary. To the early church, people knew who Paul was. They knew that Paul was the great missionary. They wanted Paul to come speak to them. But when Paul was unable to come speak, he's going to send two men on his behalf. But you know this, that whenever the senior pastor isn't here, you kind of go away to hear somebody else, right? That's kind of what's happening here. Like Paul's like, don't do that. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean that there's a powerful word here. And so what Paul does is he endorses these two men. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, when Paul says, I don't know anybody in the world like Timothy, and I want you to hold Epaphroditus in high regard, when when Paul writes that to me, I go, man, I need to better pay attention to this. I need to know, why is Paul so high on these two men? What is it about their lives? What are they doing? How are they living? And and whatever it is, it would be good for me to emulate what's going on. And here in our text, I believe there are five things that men can do. That men can do. One, to have joyful Christian lives but also to be the great friends that we've already talked about this morning. And so I want you to write these five things down. And and men, I'm speaking specifically to you. So ladies, don't check out, all right? Don't elbow your men, all right? But ladies, write. You you might want to write these things down. Maybe you are single and there's these things that you may be looking for, man. You may want to write these things down. Moms, these are things you want to pray these over your sons, that you want your sons to become like this. You want your grandsons to become like this. You want your daughters, your granddaughters to marry men like this. And men, these are two men that you want to emulate. Are you with me this morning? It is not going to be a short message, praise God. Uh, no, we, it may be short. Here we go. Number one, I want you to write this down. We need men who are more passionate about people and not profits. We need men who are more passionate about people than they are profits. Now, does that mean that I'm saying that profits are wrong? No, I'm just saying that the Bible teaches us that people are more important than profits. Verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Verse 24, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned concerned for your welfare. Verse 20, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this about Timothy. He says, he cares about other people. He puts other people first. And so one of the reasons that Paul uh, puts, puts Timothy on a pedestal, if you will, he says, listen, he puts other people first. That's been consistent with what Paul's been teaching the church here in Philippi in these first two chapters. 
put others first. And now he's got a great example. In chapter 2, Paul has been saying, uh, in chapter 1, it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. As he begins chapter 2, he says this, have this attitude which is in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself to the point of death and he became a bondservant. And so we get this example in Jesus that we need to put other people first. But sometimes when we say, oh, well, Jesus is our example, sometimes for humans, that's hard to comprehend. Well, that's Jesus. That's what he's supposed to do. And so Paul gets that. He says, okay, Jesus is example. That may be hard for you to understand, but let me give you two living examples. That Timothy, he emptied himself, and he cares more about other people than he does himself. One writer says this about Timothy. He said, Timothy was fat. F-A-T. Faithful, available, and teachable. He was faithful, available, and teachable. And here's what scholars say about Paul and about Timothy. Uh, that Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey. Paul's introduced to him. Timothy becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. But then here's something that happens. Paul doesn't take Timothy with him on the first missionary journey. He leaves Paul, he leaves Timothy there. And scholars say that Paul will then come up on the second missionary journey and then pick up Timothy. I think that's so important that we need to understand because many people think that once I become a believer, man, I'm ready to go. Paul says, no, you need to stay. You need to stay and you need to take care of other people. Look at verse number 20. Look at the phrase, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. Uh, that Greek word literally means same sold. It means this, that Timothy and Paul, Paul and Timothy, they believed the same. They, 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 they were kindred spirits. They, they, they thought alike. They, they, they acted alike one another. As a matter of fact, here's, here's what it means. Paul's life verse is found in Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21 says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So for Paul to say that Timothy is kindred spirit, it means this, that Timothy's life motto has to be what? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One commentary brought this out that I thought it was fantastic. One commentator said this, that you and I live either in Philippians 1.21, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, or we live in Philippians 2.21, which says this, we seek after our own interest and not those of Christ Jesus. Which verse are you living? Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21? In our context, it's obvious that Timothy is living out Philippians 1.21, which means this, that he is more passionate about people. He's more concerned about the welfare of other people. So men, we need men who are more passionate about the welfare of other people than their own prophets. Men, we need to live our lives in such a way that when we pass from this world, which we all will one day pass from this world, and one day we'll all stand before the Creator in heaven, and we want to hear these words, men. We want to hear Jesus, the resurrected Savior, the one we're just saying about, is He worthy? Yes, He is worthy. We want to hear Jesus, Jesus say to us as men and to all of us, we want to hear these words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And man, I'm going to tell you, it begins when we are more passionate about people than about making another dollar. And Timothy gives us that example. 
The second thing that we need to be, uh, that we need to focus on is this. We need men who focus on building their character rather than their own personal kingdom. We need men to build character not their own personal agenda, not how many likes you can get on social media, not to be an influencer on social media. We need men, we need young boys to grow up into men who have been character built into them, not their own agenda. Verse 22 says this, but you know, church, of Timothy's proven worth. Look at what he does. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And here's what Paul does for the Philippian church, and he does this for you and I today, that Paul uses Timothy as an example of a godly man who is building up character rather than his own kingdom. And you look at our text, it says this, you know of his proven worth. What, what that means is this, Paul says this, you, church, you've seen him at work. Paul's saying, I've seen this guy in action. I've watched Timothy. I've seen him in all kinds of circumstances. And, and, and it's as if Paul is saying, Timothy's the real deal. He's, he's the real McCoy. He's authentic. He's, he's genuine. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. He's reliable. And Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, Timothy is somebody that you can count on. Why? He's proved himself. Now, man, here's what we need to understand about this word proved himself. It means that you can only be proved through testing. Did you hear that? You and I can only be proved when we walk through a fire. I don't know about you, but I would rather be proved through success. Amen? I would rather be proved through good times. I would rather be proved when everything is going great, all my relationships are perfect, everything is, is just great. But here it says that Timothy has proved himself, which means he has passed the test. And it literally paints this picture of this, that you have come through pressure with the right kind of stuff. I Meaning that you walk through pressure. When you hear that voice from the Lord, it says, I want you to do this, and everything in you wants to revolt against it. Are you with me? You have to be proved. And men, we need men who are willing to walk through the fire. And men, we need men to willing to walk through the fire for our families. Be willing to stand up for the truth and to be the protectors as God has designed us to be the protectors. And we will take a beating. But that's the way that we're proved. In order for gold to be purified, it goes through the fire. You know the story of how do you know when silver and gold is, is truly purified? It's when the silversmith can see his own image in that piece of silver. So the great silversmith is God Almighty himself, and he's putting you in the fire. And you say, God, take me out. He says, I won't take you out until I see my reflection in you. When God sees his reflection in you, he, you've been proven and Paul says, Timothy has been proven. 
How, how, how did Timothy prove himself? Well, Paul tells us, it says this, you know, look at verse 22, you know of his proven worth that he, what's that word? Thank you for listening. This is a great message. Praise God. What's that word? Okay, let's, let's do it again. I'm going to read verse 22. I'm going to come to the word served. I'm not going to say the word served. I want you to say the word served. But you know of his proven worth that he How was he proven? By service. He served. Which means he did the menial tasks. That he bent down and he picked up the trash off the floor. He did not yell at somebody, you need to go pick that up. He became a servant. And I know this. I know that my 20 plus years in the ministry that I've met several men who've wanted to have more levels of leadership and more spiritual authority, yet they would never bow the knee in service. Man, I'm gonna tell you, the only way up is for you to go down, period. The only way for you to be exalted is when you humble yourself. And Paul says, this is my man, Timothy. And guys, we need men. We need men who are more passionate about people rather than prophets. And we need men who choose building godly character rather than building their own kingdom. And number three, we need men who focus on teamwork and not competition. We need men who no longer tear other people down. We need to build each other up. And now in verse 25, Paul switches to another godly man, and his name is Epaphroditus. Look at verse number 25, and if you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Now, ladies, I want you to write this in the margin of your Bible out beside verse 25. Men, don't write it down, only ladies. I want you to write this word down. Write the word, or two words, write this down. Prince Charming. <laughs> Write down Prince Charming out beside verse 25. Why? Because Epaphroditus means the one who charms. The one who charms. This is Prince Charming. And Paul says to the Philippian church, I, I'm sending you Epaphroditus. Now, this church knew him already. He was a leader in the church. And, and as a matter of fact, the church had actually sent Epaphroditus to Rome to be with Paul, to give him a gift. But Prince Charming, Epaphroditus, the one, the one who charms. Here's what's interesting about this godly man. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Listen, a lot of times, men, you're godly, and the world's going to forget about you. A lot of us want to make a name for ourselves. Oh, here's, look at me, look at my name, look, look at who I am. No, nowhere else is Epaphroditus mentioned. But yet he's considered a godly man. And later on, Paul's going to say, I want you to hold him in high regard. Meaning this man, Epaphroditus, he doesn't care about his own name. So we need men who don't care about their name. They want to focus on teamwork. 
The scholars will say this about Epaphroditus, that, that he's, he's not a preacher, he's not a pastor, but, but he's just a godly lay person. He's just one who serves. He's, he's willing to serve. He's willing to go. And, he's, and what we know here in this text is that, is that Epaphroditus, he's willing to go. He's willing to go wherever he needs to go, and he's willing to risk everything for it. And Paul gives three terms for this man, Prince Charming. Three terms for Epaphroditus. There in verse number uh, 25, he says this. He's my brother, which means we're of the same family. He's my fellow worker, which means we're on the same team. And that he's my fellow soldier, which means we fight for the same cause. And so he says, Epaphroditus, man, we, we work together. And man, we need more teamwork in our world today. We need more teamwork in our churches. We need to quit dividing over the non-essentials. Amen? Amen over here. Well, we don't have time for division. We don't have time to divide over the non-essentials. Listen, Jesus is coming back very, very soon. The things that are going on in our world are lining up with end-time prophecy, if you're not aware. Things are lining up. The Antichrist is already near or is already here. He's already in place. I believe he's already been in place because Satan doesn't know when Jesus is going to return. Therefore, the Antichrist is already on the planet, always. But Jesus is coming soon. We don't have time to be divided about the non-essentials. We need teamwork about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how could Paul say about Epaphroditus that we are on the same team? Is it possible that Epaphroditus, just like Timothy, is living Paul's life motto, Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Again, it goes back to what verse are you living, Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21? And we need men who are Philippians 1.21. You know, I've played a lot of sports, have won at very few of those sports. But I know this, when you play sports and somebody does something pretty good, you say something along these lines like this, you the man, right? Epaphroditus is the man. He's the man because he is putting others first and he's not causing division. Here's number four. We need men who choose God's kingdom work over comfort. We need men who chooses God's kingdom work over comfort. Look at verse 26. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. We need godly men who forego comfort. Now, you know this. We talked about friends earlier. Great friends forego comfort to help their friends. Amen? That's what great friends do. That's what godly men do as well. Now, think about this. When Epaphroditus traveled from Philippi to Rome and ultimately back, it was not an easy task. It was not comfortable. It was about an 800-mile journey. 800-mile journey by ship over the Mediterranean Sea. Now, when, when Epaphroditus first came to Rome, he fell ill with a very serious disease. In those days, it was called uh, COVID AD 60 is what it was called. <laughs> Who knew that COVID was there? There was seriously a disease called Roman fever in those days, and it's quite possible that Epaphroditus came down with Roman fever, and a deadly thing, but 
But here's what we know is that it almost took his life. And when the Philippian church heard about it, they were concerned about him. And then when Epaphroditus heard that the church was concerned about him, it concerned him that they were concerned about him. He loved the church. But think about this. This church in Philippi loved Epaphroditus. His family was in Philippi. But for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Epaphroditus left his home. And he made a dangerous journey to an unfamiliar place without his friends, without his family, and there he was exposed to a deadly disease. And far from his family, far from his friends, he nearly died. Now, many of us would think that's crazy. Why would Epaphroditus do such a thing? I think the only reason why Epaphroditus would do that is simply because of what Jesus Christ did for him. And that he wanted to let others know about Jesus Christ. He did it for the kingdom of God. G.K. Chesterton, author and theologian in the early 20th century, said this, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. Instead, it has been found difficult and left untried. Meaning this, many people, men, we see that sometimes God calls us to very difficult things and we don't want to do it because it's difficult. But yet we need men, we need men who, are rather, who would be willing to, cha- to, to choose God's kingdom over that which is comfortable here. So moms and dads, I, I want to challenge you. Because one of the things that we want to happen in our church is that we raise up pastors and missionaries. Moms and dads, I would challenge you to pray that your sons and daughters would not choose God's comfort, excuse me, would not choose comfort over his work. That when they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I think and I believe that God has called me to something that is very, very difficult, my prayer is that you would not say, Oh, he did not call you to that. Are you with me? Rather, you get on your knees. You get on your knees with your sons and your daughters. And you say, my son, my daughter, you go in the power of Christ Jesus. Because that's the example that we see of godly men in Scripture. We don't see godly men and women choosing comfort over God's kingdom. Number five, we need men who choose service over security. Verse 28. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice. I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard. Don't miss that verse. Hold Prince Charming in high regard. Hold Timothy in high regard. Why? Because they're choosing God's work over over comfort. They're choosing choosing service over security. You hold these men in high regard. Hold these men who put other people first. Hold these men who serve. You hold them in high regard. He says, hold them in high regard, verse 30, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what is deficient in your servants to me. And so Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi, even though Paul needed him in Rome. Look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. Hold men like him in high regard. Paul's message is clear. You've got a great man here. Give him what he deserves. 
He risked his life. Now show him your appreciation. Now look at verse number 30, and we're going to be done. Look at verse number 30. It says this, risking his life. That phrase in the Greek, it's the Greek word, paralo-ome, paralo-ome, which literally means to expose to danger, to risk, or to gamble. It means to gamble, to risk. And it was used to speak of friends who would risk their safety and security to take care of their other friends. Now what's interesting is several hundred years after this was written, there would be a, uh, a society uh, that rose up by men and women that called themselves the, the Parabolani, the Parabolani, which meant this, that they were the risk takers. They were the gamblers. And this society of men and women called the Parabolani, they made it their goal to minister to the sick, the imprisoned, and the outcast. They made sure that martyrs were given proper uh, and honorable burials. And society says of this group, the Parabolani, that they were considered odd. That they were considered not normal. All because they chose service over security. And they chose to risk their life. Men, can I ask you a question this morning? What are you willing to risk for Christ? Men, what are you willing to risk? Are you willing to give up your name for the name which is above every other name? That at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth and under the earth, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you willing to risk your name for that name? When was the last time you were taken out of your comfort zone to do something that God has asked you to do? When have you done that? A lot of times in my life, I'm adverse to risk. I like security. Can I get an amen on that one? I really like comfort, don't you? But the older I become and the more I see the world change and the more I read and understand Scripture, I've come to the conviction that it's not what God calls us to. He calls us to give up our life. I close with this statement from Oswald Chambers. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Maybe we fear God too little. And we fear everything else way too much. And men, here's what I know from this text that we've read this morning. God is looking for more parabolanis. God is looking for more gamblers. Maybe we should start a new ministry at our church called The Gamblers for Jesus. Might not work too well, would it? 
but church, here's what I know. Everybody gambles their life on something. I'm putting all, of my, I'm putting all in on Jesus. And you need to do the same thing. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. There may be some men here this morning that you are not all in on Jesus. You've been more concerned about your name, profits, comfort, security, and you're not all in, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are being led to be all in today, to give up things to be all in for Jesus. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking. If that's you this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I'm willing to be all in for Jesus. I'm a believer, but I want to be all in. Would you just simply raise your hand this morning? Amen. Thank you, men. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you, for those who raised your hand. Let me pray. Father, I pray for these who raised their hand saying, I want to be all in for Jesus. Father, I pray that that you would give them the strength and the courage and the boldness to live completely for you. To no longer fight for their name, but to fight for your name. Give them the strength to be the men, the husbands, the fathers, and the leaders that you called them to be. And I pray this for the ladies as well who raised their hands, that God, that you would, that you would strengthen them to be godly women, to be bold with their faith, and to say yes to you. Now, there may be somebody else here this morning. You may be going, you know, Pastor, you know, I, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never been all in. I've been living for myself, and I don't understand this Jesus thing, but, but I sense the Holy Spirit or something tugging me to follow Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to let you know that, that Jesus is calling you to follow him. How do you follow him? You follow him by bowing your knee to him bowing your knee at the foot of the cross and telling Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you were crucified and you died, you were buried, and on the third day you rose again to give me life. The Bible says that if you would bow your knee to him and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. If that's you this morning and you would like to make that declaration for the very first time to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you simply just raise your hand this morning so that I can see you? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those that raise your hand, would you say this prayer after me? Say it to yourself and say it to the Father in heaven. Would you say this? Say, dear Jesus, I'm tired of living my life for myself. And I know that you have a greater purpose for me. I bow my knee to you. And I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying for my sins. And then raising from the dead to give me new life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. For those of you who pray that the Bible says that you have now been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there is a party being thrown for heaven in you right now. Praise God for that. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.